words that are spoken this morning, that we would meet with you, that we would hear from you, and then all the clatter and noise and busyness of our lives that we would hear your still small voice. And may we uh, hearken to your voice this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, would be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you. It's a beautiful morning. Um, I just kind of ran over from doing some worship with the children. So I'm a little bit out of, out of breath, but uh, it's, it's wonderful to be a part of their worship as well. Just as important as our worship, right? But anyway, uh, we sang some camp songs, or songs that, you know, you, you're kind of familiar with from camp. Uh, you know, I've got peace like a river. I like bananas. I know that mangoes are sweet. You know that one? I like papayas, papayas. So, Really had a fun time worshiping with them, but uh, it made me think a little bit about camp. Um, I love camp. I loved it as a camper, but I actually loved it even more as a camp counselor. I worked for three summers over at Frontier Ranch in Mission Springs. You guys been to Frontier Ranch? Any campers from Frontier Ranch here? Yeah, all right. It's good history there. So uh, my camp name was Magnum. <laughs> Look like a Magnum, don't I? <laughs> And it's up there in the, you know, in the wagon wheel. You know, my, my camp name is up there. I spent three summers, two as a, as, a, as a counselor and then one summer as a team counselor. And I had such a rich experience there. I was 20 years old my first summer. Um, I was really transformed through my time there. I grew in my love for God. Um, I grew in my love for, for God's people. I never experienced community like that before, where I could really let down the walls and, and kind of share all that was in me and, and still be loved and encouraged. I mean, we had so much fun, too. I mean, I, I just remember laughing so much that my, my ribs hurt. We had such a good time. And not only did we love God and, and love each other, but we were involved in really effective, uh, beautiful, uh, fruit-bearing ministry as we saw children time and time again come to know Jesus, grow in their, in their love for Jesus. It's a wonderful community to be a part of. I felt, you know, personally, I kind of felt like the self I always wanted to be in my times at camp. Um, and, and it was like God showed me the possibilities of community while I was there. Um, it wasn't perfect. Camp wasn't perfect. There was, you know, um, a lot of things that, that weren't, you know, ideal. But we did taste a little bit of heaven. We did experience the kingdom of God breaking in there at camp. Um, undoubtedly, this was the Spirit's work. It's not something that we did on our own, but, but it was about the Spirit's power uh, enabling us to live in a way that reflected the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, when I think about the shape of our life at camp, it was kind of unique. We were always hearing about God. Every morning we had a devotion. Not only that, we were leading the kids in Bible study. We were always praying, continually praying. Not only that, we were always eating together. We were always sharing our meals in the wagon wheel together with kids. We were living together. It was very much life-on-life ministry. And we were putting resources of time and energy to further God's mission. Sorry, a little thundery today. 
and I think the important point was that it wasn't just about the community of counselors and staff. We were actually, we found our identity in serving others. And that actually enriched our life as a community, to have a purpose that was outside of ourselves. And I'm convinced that it was the really unique shape of our life together, our pattern of life together, that allowed the kingdom of God to break in in such a powerful way in our lives. Uh, thinking about camp a lot this week, and thinking about Acts 2, 42 through 47, there's a lot of similarities there. Our pattern of life, just like the pattern of life in, in Acts chapter 2, allowed the Spirit of God to work powerfully among us. So I'm going to go ahead and read from Acts chapter 2 again. This is the, two-part series, the second part of the two-part series on uh, the Spirit creating a new community. So I invite you to read along with me in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 42 through 47. It's on page 1079 in your pew Bibles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God. This beautiful picture of community. Today we're going to revisit how it is that we can begin to incorporate the pattern of life that we see alive here in the first community of Christians. And how do we do that in our, our environment? It's not a camp environment, nor is it an environment of first century Palestine. So how do we do that here? Well, just to give you a little bit more context, um, this community was formed, as I've uh, talked about the last couple weeks, it was formed because the Spirit came at Pentecost. This is the community of people who have repented from one way of life Turn to the life that's available in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is empowered life. But at the same time, this is a life that's very much disciplined and patterned in a specific way. We talked about last week how... So we see a pattern of life at work here. Um, I, I used the image last week of selves. That these things were, were practices that sort of lifted their selves to catch the Spirit's power. And I'll go ahead and recap the habits real quickly here for you. We have a, some, a slide here, Dwayne. Thanks. Get that up there. So spirit led them to a life that was very much patterned, had a specific pattern. And uh, it used the triangle last week to kind of illustrate uh, this pattern a little bit more. So it was a life that was devoted to God. Um, they had habits of... of uh, it, you can go ahead and switch to the next slide there. Uh, they had habits of study. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to prayer. Um, and they were devoted to praise. They were connecting with God. They, they, they learned about God. They studied God. They learned from the apostles, those who were Jesus himself, to adopt uh, the pattern of life that Jesus adopted. They learned life on life what it was to live in the kingdom of God. They had a habit of prayer. They didn't seek so much to uh, fit prayer into life, but they fit their life into prayer. It was a life of prayer. And then when you know God, 
and you are connecting with God relationally, you can't but help to praise him. Their lives responded in praise. Scripture says they were uh, daily praising the Lord. And we learned that they were also devoted to each other. They, uh, we can switch now, yeah. Uh, they were devoted to fellowship, to koinonia, uh, intimate participation in life together. They were devoted to radically sharing their resources. They held all things in common. They uh, were devoted to eating together in each other's homes. And this was uh, very much part of their community. This was uh, as essential as, as anything else, was sharing bread together, sharing life together. Uh, and they did this in a way that was uh, not external to their sort of home life, but it was actually brought into their home. And not only were they devoted to God and to each other, but they were devoted to the community. They were not uh, hidden away, cloistered away, but they were involved uh, in what was going on where they lived. Um, they were practicing generosity with the community. They sold their possessions and gave to any who had need. Um, and they practiced presence. Uh, they were in the temple, which I discussed was the place of kind of daily interaction. It was very much a public place the temple. So they were interacting with their community, and they were generous to the community. And we learned that out of, out of these habits, out of this pattern of life, the Spirit of God moved mightily. The signs and wonders were being done by the apostles, and that the Lord was adding daily to those who were being saved. They had the goodwill of all the people. An amazing picture of, of God working in the midst of this community. So the thing I didn't get to talk about much last week that I, I wanted to touch on now is that these things are very much interrelated. Um, devotion to God is inseparable from devotion to, to, the, to each other, and it's inseparable from devotion to the community. Same with the other angles. Because if you're devoted to God, if you are filled with the love of God, that love is not self-contained. That love finds its life in reaching out to others. Uh, we see that uh, devotion to God um, meant that they wanted to share that love of God with others. Um, in the same way, the devotion to community uh, acted to drive them to further love of God and also further love of the community. Because when you're devoted to a community uh, centered around God, you realize that you actually uh, need God's love and power to work through you to, to be able to love that community. We'll burn out if we're not fueled by God's love. Um, you also realize that if you're trying to reach out, you know, to those outside the church, that you can't do it by yourself. This sort of Lone Ranger approach, you realize how much you need community. Um, not only that, but as we live life in devotion to each other, it's it's amazing transformational uh, effect. You know, this, this, I like the image of a rock tumbler. Um, to be able to, you know, you guys seen a rock tumbler before? It's a bunch of r rough uh, stones that you put into this tumbler, and as the rocks rub up against each other, everything gets smoothed out. That's kind of what happens as we're devoted to each other, is, is that um, our rough edges kind of get polished off as we uh, are in community together. There's also accountability through community. Um, so we see that these things, if you're really 
kind of vested in one, you're, you're necessarily going to be driven to the other. Um, that's, I think, something important to remember. Um, all right, we can go ahead and switch to the next slide there. Actually, yeah, actually, sorry, we can hide it a little bit. I need a clicker up here. That'd be handy. Um, so the question for us is, how do we incorporate these habits into our lives? We probably generally agree that these are good things, um, that you know, the, the scriptures tell us that this is kind of the pattern of life to live as a Christian community, but how do we do it? I felt a little bit heavy last week after sharing. I felt like, oh, man, I just gave all these folks more things to do. That, that, something about that didn't, didn't feel right. Um, because it's really not about more things to do. Rather, it's about an approach through which our everyday lives are lived. Not necessarily about more things to do, but about a new way to do the things that you already do. And to really want to change, to really have the energy and the the focus to be able to change toward this pattern of living, we're going to have to believe this is worth changing for. That this shape of community actually offers the best possible life that's out there. Only when the vision is compelling enough and captivating enough will we let go of other things to be able to take hold of this vision of community. It's like in Matthew 13 when Jesus talks about the man who found a treasure in the field. And for the joy that was laid before him, he sold everything else to be able to buy this field and have this treasure. That's sort of what this image of community is, or this, this picture of the life uh, of Acts 2 community is, is that it's so valuable, it's such a treasure. We want to see God work and move in this way, so we let go of other things that we might have this life. And uh, this, this sort of life, it, it is really rather simple, I think. It's pretty well laid out what it is this pattern of life together looks like that enables the spirit to move in power. But it's incredibly difficult. I don't want to minimize that. It's simple but difficult, not complex and easy. Mike Breen, uh, a pastor who has talked a lot about uh, discipleship um, and talks about in our day and age how we kind of want a microwave spirituality. We want sort of a, a silver bullet you know, that quickly kind of transforms everything and allows us churches to grow and allows us to grow uh, in leaps and bounds. Um, but that's, that's not how things work. Um, it's, it's a journey. So with those things in mind, um, today I'd like to um, sort of clear a few of the obstacles that get in the way between uh, our living into this life uh, as shown in Acts chapter 2. So I did a kind of unofficial poll last week, and I appreciate people's responses. They were really good. Um, and I resonated with, I think, every, every single response that was out there. So I did some really um, difficult math and did a little bar graph for you, so we can throw that up there. Yeah. So here's, I kind of grouped the, the obstacles that you guys named uh, and threw it up there, uh, you know, in a kind of simple understand bar graph. So the number one obstacle was scarcity. What I mean by scarcity is that people, we feel that we don't have enough time or energy to incorporate the habits of this way of life. 
In other words, we're too busy. Second uh, leading uh, result was individualism. Um, basically, the idea is that our, our cultural framework, the way we live in this time and place, is so individually focused that making a shift towards this sort of uh, community is true dramatic a shift to realistically make. Third, lack of connection with the community. The idea here, the responses were basically saying that, no, either we're personally not equipped relationally to reach out, or maybe even the church building is not ideally situated to be able to, to reach our community. Uh, some folks thought about character issues, that maybe we just don't have the right priorities, that we're just not spiritually mature enough to be able to incorporate this pattern of living. There's a few other responses about um, we have too many fears of, of being known, that if people really got to know us, it's, it's hard to, to let people in. We isolate ourselves. We hold others off because we're afraid of what they'll see in us. Maybe not only people in this church uh, do we fear them getting to know us, but also people in the, in the outside community. We're afraid of what they'll see when they get to know us. Also, a response about, you know, sometimes our fear of failure is so great that we don't want to try it all. So that, that was, those are the obstacles I'd like to address this morning. And uh, these are daunting. These are daunting. Um, but I, I think the obstacles help us uh, picture and isolate what it is that's really getting in the way. So, how do we, how do we get at these things? My, uh, my proposition this morning is that all these different obstacles uh, are different visions on how to live. Different visions of what it means to live well. And I'd like to suggest that the clearer the vision we have of the Acts 2 community and the clear vision of how superior that form of life is to other forms of life will be the best motivation and drive to incorporating the habits and pattern of, of the life in Acts 2 community. So we'll start with scarcity. Busyness. Let's just call it busyness. We're busy. I just invite you all just to take a breath right now and just relax a bit because it seems like Maybe this is one of the few moments in our weeks that we actually just get to sit and be still. So go ahead, take a breath. I encourage you, please, take a breath. Relax a little bit. Just be here, be, be now. There's di- been different enemies uh, or, or sort of obstacles for the church throughout the ages. I do agree that for us, maybe busyness is our chief nemesis. And we hurried lives is our chief nemesis in this day and age. Now, why busyness is, is bad is because it robs us from the ability to delight in God's creation. Robs us of the ability to l- delight in God's saving work in our life and what he's done in Jesus. Maybe the enemy's strategy is that we'd be so busy with so many good things that we don't have time to appreciate any of them or to take hold of that which is best. 
too much too fast. I was watching this morning a little bit on the news about this steakhouse in Texas that says, you know, I, I forget the size of the steak, just this ma- massive piece of meat that if you eat within 60 minutes, you can have for free. I think you get a t-shirt too. And uh, they're showing these images of people trying to, trying to eat the steak. And it looks like a delicious piece of meat. But the looks on their faces as they gorge themselves in a hurried manner is just disgusting. And they have these buckets, you know, at the side of the table just in case. To me, that's the image of our day and age. Too much, too fast. We take something uh, that's supposed to be really good and we try to scarf it down uh, and we, we don't get to appreciate it. Busyness also robs us from presence. When we're so rushed and busy, it's hard to be present to people, I think, in the way that, that Jesus would like us to be, the way that Jesus himself modeled. Jesus was incredibly present to what was going on. Busyness not, might rob us from the ability to, to listen to what God's doing in our interactions with others and to participate with, with how God might be drawing others into himself or might uh, block us from seeing what God wants us to do uh, for another in service and in love. So why are we so busy? Why is it that busyness is such an alluring temptation for us? Well, I think, um, I think that we're busy because we, we feel like we're missing out if we don't do everything that's out there, right? Um, that we will miss out on something that life is offering if we're not uh, doing so many activities. It could also be that we just, you know, working in a day and age where the businesses that we work for um, want to squeeze every less, last hour out of us. They want us to produce There's also, I think, a real um, temptation for some of us um, that we keep, be- we keep busy because we're afraid of what we'll find out about ourselves if we actually stop and pause. Our identity is so wrapped up in activity and what we do rather than the identity that God gives us in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but technology also has, I think, changed us a bit. You never, this is the thing that just blows my mind. You never have to be bored. You never have to be bored anymore because we have a world to enter through our pockets. Do you remember being bored? I remember being bored growing up. You don't have to be bored anymore. And I think that's actually a really dangerous thing. We get out of touch with what's going on in our souls because we can kind of entertain and soothe ourselves to death. So busyness clouds our vision. It provides a a different vision of life than the one God offers. So how do we undo busyness? Well, it's good to evaluate and kind of map where your time is spent and simply ask, does where I spend time correlate to what I most value? Does Does where I spend time correlate to what I most value? Are you keeping first things first? just it's about prioritizing if you long to live a life of following Jesus in the context of community 
then the way you use time should reflect that. So I think a, a way to attack busyness is actually to set aside time and margin in life, to choose rest. You remember uh, Sabbath. Just talking to Doug about Sabbath and how, you know, he used to remember when things were actually closed on Sundays. Um, but the, the world, our culture, is not going to encourage any sort of stopping and ceasing. So we need to prioritize that and create margins in our life daily and weekly in which to stop and to delight in God, to remember our memberships to each other, our, our, our belonging uh, in family um, and in community. So it's, it's almost like, maybe for me it's helpful to think not always how can we do this, but how can we not do this, right? Isn't that the best use of time you can, you can have? Is to create times of renewal with God so that we can live in a way that God has shown us to live? Everything will flow from abiding in Christ. John fifteen five, I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't share with others what we ourselves don't have. So creating space for non-busy activities. So I have a little slide here that kind of tries to depict what life might look like for us. Thanks, Dwayne. So... This is, to me, this is kind of how I'm tempted to envision life. We have all these different little areas of activity. And, um, you know, family, eating God, work, church programs, neighbors, media study, exercise, rest. And, you know, there's maybe a temptation to hear kind of about the habits of the first Christian community and think, oh, man, I just need to create some more bubbles up there. (laughs) I need to find some room somehow. Be able to take a little less time for rest Maybe a little less time for media, church programs, whatever, and uh, squeeze it in there. But I think prioritizing um, first things first, um, prioritizing abiding in Christ, allows us to move from a, this is kind of what like a bifurcated life is. It's kind of chaotic. But I think it allows us to move to a more integrated life. We can move uh, to the next slide there. So this looks like an Easter egg basket a little bit. But the point here is that we find our life amid God, not God amid life. So we start with the first thing, which is God. Um, In God's community, we realize that these other activities in life flow out of that. These aren't separate things, but everything we do can flow out of the life that we have in Christ. Maybe the best way to be involved in kids and work and exercise is to see these things as flowing from the triangle of devotion. Right? So what this means is that these habits and activities, these pa- this pattern of living is in a way in which to enter the, all the other activities of life. And what happens, I think, you know, say that, uh, that brown circle there is, represents work. When you see this as flowing from your life in God's community, now work becomes not a separate thing, but a way in which you express your faith in Christ. A way in which 
you can connect with others, a way in which you can serve others, and a way in which you can have daily interaction with the community to share the good news of Jesus. Or say that, that uh, I don't know, that white circle there on the edge, say that rep- represents pickup basketball. Anybody play pickup basketball? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Probably not the best, uh, best example. Hey, a golf. It looks like a golf ball. Let's say that represents golf. <laughs> Can't golf be something that's done in devotion to God? Devotion to God's community? Devotion to the world that God loves? What an awesome way to connect with each other or to connect with maybe those who don't know Christ. That can flow from the life that you have in God. You see the paradigm shift? The difference? Instead of a chaotic, kind of all over the place life, it's, there's integration here. It's a life that flows from our life in God. Now, what it does take, it, again, it takes putting first things first. If you think the most important thing is, is following Christ in the context of community, then, again, we do need to create space and margin for that. Um, and the rest of these things will flow. There, there's, there's a real issue about prioritizing. Um, now, if we look at the Acts 2 community, um, I, don't, you know, I don't imagine that they stopped the things that they were doing, necessarily. If there was, say, a baker in that community, I don't imagine they stopped baking. But, you know, they were a baker in a very different way because of their experience of, of the Spirit, because of their experience of being forgiven in Jesus, because of the life that they share daily with God's people. I think uh, their life, in our life, can be prophetic. You know what I mean by that? It could be an image, um, a taste of what's possible through God. It will be weird to be not busy in our, in our culture. People will think that you're strange because you're not super busy. Maybe it'll feel strange to yourself. But I wonder if we need to be weirdly unbusy to witness to this culture. A people who are strangely present to others in conversation. Strangely present. You can start to see how this gets at individualism as well. That's not a way to really think of life as an individualist would think of life. Um, It's important to remember as we look at the Acts 2 community that we were baptized into a community. We were baptized into Christ. Um, being baptized into Christ means being baptized into his community. Sometimes we think of Jesus, uh, me and Jesus, I'm saved by Jesus. Really, I think the, the New Testament image is that of being uh, saved together by Jesus. That Individually, sure, it, there's very much uh, individual component uh, in connecting with, with God through Jesus Christ. But very much there's this idea that when we follow Christ, with our invitation to follow Christ is an invitation to be a part of a community. Paul talks about the body of Christ. Um, it talks about um, that together we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I was watching uh, a television last, or a couple nights ago about, um, it was a documentary on PBS about the Amish. And it was fascinating. The Amish help us see how different our individualism is from a more communal uh, point of view of life. 
while we think of the community existing for the sake of the individual, the Amish really, I think, conceive of the individual as existing for the sake of community. Because, if you were to ask sort of the average American, um, you know, that question, do you exist for the community or does the community exist for you? I, I think the average American answer, if it was honest, would say, well, the community exists to serve my needs. And what happens in that setting is that the church also, often becomes a consumer item, a consumer product. Um, and it's not, uh, it's no wonder, in my mind, why megachurches are so, are so popular. Because it's a, it's a tremendous example of what the big church, how that serves the individual. How you can sort of have these spiritual commodities, these spiritual goods, without ever really being involved in the community. I'm not saying there's not great ministry that happens in megachurches. I'm not saying that at all. But uh, we need to watch out for the way in which our individualism plays out in, in seeing church as an item to consume, a product. Uh, another way to get at our individualism as we seek to live in the pattern of the Acts 2 community is to rethink our ideas of membership. Um, I was a part of a church in North Carolina my legendary North Carolina days, where uh, the, the churchyard, the, the cemetery in the church, uh, t- in order to be buried in that cemetery, you had to be a member of the church. Now, what that meant what there, was that there's roles and roles of people who would never step in church, yet were members because they wanted to be buried in that churchyard. You see how that view, that, the view of membership was that my membership allows me access to certain benefits. How different that is from the biblical image of membership as being a part of a body that works together to pursue the things of Christ, to be the body of Christ. So individualism is, is a real threat uh, for our day and age. But I think the way in which to get at individualism is for people to taste uh, the wonderful uh, goodness of community together. We, we want to be individuals, but yet at the same time, we're so isolated and lonely in this day and age. But as those uh, in our community taste the goodness of, of a Christ-centered, inclusive community, centered in the love of God, through, through these particular habits, I, I think we will, along with the Acts 2 community, um, experience that, that joy of, of being together. We'll experience the joy of glad and generous hearts together. Like I discovered at camp, we discover who we are, who we're made to be as an individual through the relationship we have with God's people, with God's family, the church. So in one, one sense, I'm saying it's, it's easy to be self-centered, but it's just better. It just, there's just more joy um, to be in community. It does take a bit of self-surrender. But what it does, it opens, up, opens us up from being curved in on ourselves to open it up to, to the kingdom of God in our life together. 
Now, uh, to move to the third obstacle, fears of being known and, and character issues. Um, now, I, I personally believe that the character issues are actually kind of the, a minor piece of what keeps us from entering uh, sort of the Acts 2 model of life. Um, because I think that, you know, I know that God takes us just as we are. And God's pr- actually provided these habits in which to work out um, kind of our, our character defects, our areas for growth. That as we're committed to and participating in the community of God, that God through his grace in our interactions together, in our, in our study, in our prayer, in our praise, in our eating and meeting together, that, that those rough spots, again, like the rock tumbler, get smoothed out. If we have a fear of being known, like I did uh, before serving at Frontier Ranch, when you get to experience the grace of somebody saying, you know, I know who you are, and you are loved. Um, there's so much healing that goes on uh, in that. Um, of course, for that to happen, we, we need an honest community that's willing to speak the truth in love and not settle for artificial harmony. But I truly believe if we're committed uh, to these habits, these things will get worked out. Um, it also could be a threat that um, uh, a threat to our being a sort of community of, of hospitality that we're just afraid to let people in because we're afraid of not just what they'll see in our, in our souls, but what they'll actually see in our homes, right? I, uh, you know, we may have a messy home or we don't want to sort of show people kind of the way in which we live. I had a professor at, at Duke named Lauren Winter who uh, wrote about this issue. She wanted to practice hospitality, but um, she was afraid to invite people open because they'd see how messy her house was. Anybody identify with that? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. I do. Um, but as she kind of prayed through this with God, she realized, what, what am I doing? Do I have to wait to sort of present a polished up version of myself to invite people in? Or maybe by practicing the discipline of hospitality, I practice letting people into my real life, to really what's going on at home. Again, not easy, but um, invite people into your messy homes. That, that's, you know, uh, that, I think that's a, a great discipline to practice. So again, I've thrown kind of a lot of stuff at you again this week. Um, but I, I hope and I pray that maybe there's a piece or two that God sort of uh, is putting kind of his finger on in you. Maybe there's something that really speaks to you there. Maybe one of these obstacles are you starting to see in a new light. When we think, again, of the Acts 2 community, it's a daunting picture. But I also want you to see a delightful invitation. Richard Foster writes this. He says, In our day, heaven and earth are on tiptoe waiting for the emerging of the spirit-led, spirit-intoxicated, spirit-empowered people. All of creation waits, watches expectantly for the springing up of a disciplined, freely gathered, martyr people who know in this life the life and power of the kingdom of God. 
It happened before, and it can happen again. It is possible. So where is God inviting you? Where is God inviting us to rearrange? To put first things first. To allow life to flow out of his love. Do you sense that invitation from him? We can't do it alone. Nor is just being together enough. But individuals gathered together, devoted to God, to each other, to God's community, to God's world, will be a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Is there a better story to live? Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we find ourselves caught up in activities and we don't even know how we kind of started to live this way. We live uh, kind of bifurcated lives that are doing so many different things and we long for our lives to reflect your heart. Getting there is hard. Lord, we confess. So I ask that you would plow the ground of our lives together. We'd see with clarity the path that you have before us. That you would empower us, Spirit, to step by step take the journey into becoming a, a community together that reflects the pattern of living you've shown. I pray this journey would be one full of joy and hope, not despair or burden. You say your yoke is easy and burden is light. So Lord, we ask that you would guide us into life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.